0: You're listening to Her Brilliant Health Radio, episode number 17. She
1: used to deliver babies, but now she delivers exceptional wellness for women. Welcome to Her Brilliant Health Radio, where holistic women's health expert and board-certified OBGYN, Dr. Kieran Dunstan, shares revolutionary insight from leading experts on what you need to know today to treat the root cause of disease, heal, and create the radiant health you've been searching for.
0: everybody. It's Dr. Kieran. Welcome to another episode of Her Brilliant Health Radio. Today I'd like you to help me welcome a special guest from the West Coast, Dr. Carol Lurie. Dr. Lurie is a naturopathic physician. She's a licensed acupuncturist. She's also a functional medicine expert and she's a homeopath and she has over 30 years of experience providing integrative health Dr. Carol has always been drawn to empowering women in their health journey, and she specializes in complex chronic disease treatment, such as breast cancer and breast cancer implant illness, fibromyalgia, PCOS, infertility, and more. Dr. Carol is particularly passionate about helping women prevent, detect, and successfully treat breast cancer. And her online healing series is The Path of Breast Cancer, which she'll share with you during the episode. Dr. Carroll sees breast cancer and other serious illnesses not only as emotional challenge, but also as a spiritual challenge, or rather a call that must be answered by incorporating unique tools and methods of healing. I'm excited to have Dr. Carol talk with us today about all her healing modalities, and particularly about breast cancer. Welcome, Dr. Carol.
1: Thank you so much. I'm so excited and honored to be here, really. So let's talk about
0: why you do what you do. I find that people's journeys are fascinating and very instructive to people listening and oftentimes quite inspiring as to how you came to do what you do because most of us are wounded healers we don't come by this because we were healthy and want everyone else to be healthy so I'd love for you to share that.
1: Um, well, I agree with you that those of us in the healing profession are most of us are wounded healers and I had a difficult upbringing and what really enabled me to get through it was i had this inner little voice that said it can be better and moving forward in my life i in my practice i've always felt when women come to me that it can be better and that's why i went to school for 14 years to learn all these skills to be able to help women get it better for themselves and the journey is not always easy. Sometimes it's often difficult, but when you have somebody who is by your side with the support, I think that makes the journey um, can actually be pleasant and positive.
0: So, what was the first training that you had and the first degree that you got, and what inspired you to take that path?
1: Well, I was uh, very fortunate. I went to Temple University in Philadelphia, and I got a bachelor's. Um, degree in um, psychology and I minored in English because I love reading and writing. And while I was in the undergraduate um, world, I did a lot of volunteer work and student studying and I was working in a halfway house for people who had been institutionalized and were um, being uh, discharged into the community and they had no skills and they had no idea how to live in an apartment or anything. So it was our job to really help these people become reincorporated into society. And I learned a lot about what it was like to work with people during that time, how to treat people with respect and dignity, no matter what they look like on the outside and how, when you did that, people really responded with an open hearted love and warmth. I was also fortunate to work with children who were institutionalized in um, facilities, and I worked in um, institutionalized lockdown wards for adults in psychiatric hospitals. So I have a lot of foundation in mental health, and I use that in my work because I really feel like if you don't deal with the emotional components of illness, you're not going to be able to get the level of healing that you deserve and desire.
0: Great. So it sounds like those seeds were really planted there. And and
1: then what was your next training? Um, I went to the National College of Naturopathic Medicine in Portland, Oregon, um, for four years. And that was a really wonderful experience. Naturopathic medicine was at the beginning of what it has become now today. That was also more than thirty years ago. And like everyone else, they've progressed and made a lot of positive changes. Um, So I really was able to get the natural healing tools that I knew that I needed to be able to provide the type of health care for people in my practice.
0: And since then, you've become trained in acupuncture, functional medicine, homeopathy. And so you have a huge toolkit from which to draw on to help people heal.
1: I thank you. I, um, I feel like it's part of uh, a healer's or practitioner's responsibility to really be able to provide as many skills as possible to the people that you're fortunate enough who come to work with you. And I don't like to use the word patience. I feel it mm-hmm. d- diminishes the people that you're working with. It's not a phrase that resonates with me. What do you like client better? Yeah, client or people that I'm working with. Client is good. Client. <laughs> I like client too also because yeah.
0: patient, uh, you really shouldn't have to be patient to be a patient. <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> I'm <laughs> not patient.
0: <laughs> you're, you're, a, you're a client. You're a paying person for services. And right. that equals client as well. I do think that patient is somewhat disempowering. Yes, that's I feel that too. Um, and so how did you become... A, Particularly interested in helping women with breast cancer
1: um, as I've been in practice longer, the complexity of the illness of that clients are presenting with has increased and I um, studied with this integrative oncology expert, although he's not a medical doctor he is in how I describe it as a practitioner who knows so much about standard and integrative oncology. His name is Donnie Yance, and he is the owner and uh, founder of the Nadiri Foundation in Ashland, Oregon. So I was fortunate to study with him for several years. And that gave me the framework of how to approach cancer because it's such a complex illness. Um, there are people who I have studied with who deal with all types of cancer, and I think that's admirable, but I've always been drawn to working with women. and I decided I was going to focus on breast cancer. Um, breast cancer is becoming more and more prevalent in our society, and I've been started like when you become interested in something, it just comes to you. So more and more women started coming to see me. I'm not their primary care um, practitioner. I do supportive integrative care, helping them get through the allopathic treatments um, in as good as health as possible.
0: Yeah, and, and I think of all the cancers to focus on, it's probably the one that is most interesting to me as well. I mean, it's the number one cancer among women. It's the deadliest cancer among women. Women have a risk of one in eight of getting it. There'll be 266,000 new cases of breast cancer this year and 40,000 deaths from breast cancer in 2018. Uh, so it certainly is a, a cancer that's foremost in my mind. I actually got my mammogram this morning. Oh, good. Um, yes. Um, and I'm a fan of thermography as well as mammography. Perfect. And, uh, Perfect. An episode um, where we talked about uh, the benefits of using Thermography, in addition to mammography, into in addition to mammography, yes, for uh, early screening and how it can be a tool for um, primary prevention as well. Uh, and there are so many modifiable risk factors for breast cancer. That's okay. another reason that I love talking about it because there's so many things that women can do to prevent themselves from getting breast cancer the two most common risk factors are your gender female can't do anything about that and your age but in terms of your diet your toxicity exposure uh, and so many other things there there's a lot that a lot to do about breast cancer So if a woman comes to you and they're fearful about breast cancer, say they have a first degree relative who has it, although majority of women who get breast cancer don't have a relative. How would you counsel her? What kinds of things would you look at with her?
1: Well, the first thing I would want to know is if she had done the genetic screening, the BRCA1 and Mm 2, and that counts for up to, can count for up to a 15% increase in likelihood of a woman getting breast cancer, but that's a very small percentage Um, I would run inflammatory markers. I might run some very specific oxidative stress analysis markers from a functional medicine standpoint. And then I would go, as you suggested, through every single one of the exogenous contributing factors, such as what is her level of toxicity exposure? How does she eat? Does she microwave her food in plastic? I hope not. Does she drink water out of um, plastic bottles that have, I hope not also, but even worse, if they've been sitting in a hot car, all those toxins then are leaching into the water. What kind of chemicals is she putting on her body in the form of facial products or skin creams or hair shampoo or deodorant? So as part of my course, I have um, an ebook called Detoxifying Your Home. I mean, what is the laundry detergent that people use because you use laundry detergent or those dryer sheets, which are filled with chemicals and estrogen disruptors. And then you take a hot shower, your skin is open and your pores are open and you wrap yourself in this towel that has been um, dried in the dryer, filled with these toxic chemicals. So you think you're clean, but you're really not. Um, Right,
0: but Carol, it smells so good. And they show the commercials of people smelling their towels and you're, i'm thinking to myself
1: stop! Yeah, exactly i'm with you and the other thing that really gets me is the advertisement for that spray that you're supposed to spray all over your furniture for breathing. yeah where i didn't want to mention the name because oh, no, we, again, mentioned names. we mentioned okay them. because then you're sitting there and your skin is exposed and you're touching and the smell is up I had a young woman come in to see me with severe uh, polycystic ovarian syndrome. I know that's not breast cancer, but it's an estrogen disrupting uh, hormonal imbalance. And I went through my list as I did with her, and it turns out that she was using 27 estrogen disrupting products in her home. And I had her detoxify her home and send me a picture. There were 27 bottles, not to mention the bottles, but how much expense was she spending every month on these toxic chemicals that the American advertising companies had led her to believe that were that she needed there, and they were good for her and they would help her in her life. So that's something for people to think about because people feel like, oh, I can't afford natural health care or I can't afford high quality supplements. And then when you begin to take about, think about and take apart what you're spending your money on in products which are not healthy for you it begins to make a little bit more sense
0: right and and dr carol's going to give a link where you can um download some information about her course and some of the things she's talking about we'll have it in the show notes but i do like to make the show very practical so we've mentioned a lot of things so i like to be specific so people can go in their house and go plastic bottles secrete phthalates, done. They can say Febreze has these aromatized petroleum byproduct chemicals, these artificial scents. These are gonna act in my body. They go through my skin as endocrine destructors. So let's list some of the things that people could go in their house now and reduce their risk of breast cancer by getting rid of.
1: (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Um, Let's start with non-organic deodorant. Yes. Now, if you go into PubMed, There's supposedly no direct research that says that uh, aluminum that's in standard deodorant leads to breast cancer. But I feel like it's more than the aluminum. It is the estrogen disruptors that are so close to your breasts that are getting into your breast tissue. And what happens with estrogen disruptors? And I know I'm sure you've talked about this to your audience, but I feel like it's always a good thing to remind women, what do we mean when we say an estrogen disruptors? So there are chemicals in scents, and in phthalates, and in BSAs, and BPAs, and they sort of what I call mimic estrogen. So your body only has a certain amount of let's call them parking spots for estrogen to hook onto to become detoxified and processed into a different form of estrogen so it can then be eliminated through your intestines. But these estrogen disruptors, they come in and they go to those parking spots and the parking spots go, oh, you can sit here. And they take up the spot of the normal, healthy estrogen. And therefore, that estrogen doesn't have any place to go. So it builds up in an unhealthy form in your body. And that is the difficulty and the danger of estrogen disruptors. So you're using underarm deodorant and it's so close to your breast and it's taking up the spots of what would the normal healthy estrogen be that would be ready to be detoxified. The scents that you mentioned in those spray chemicals are very toxic for you. They do the same thing. They get into your skin, they hook up with those parking spots and then the normal healthy estrogen cannot be detoxified and eliminated.
0: Right. I love that you call them parking spots. I think that's a brilliant analogy. I think it makes it very clear for people listening. Um, So, anything with an artificial scent in your home, candles, plug ins, air fresheners are the
1: worst. Yes.
0: They're horrible. They're the worst. Uh, Deodorants, any of your shampoos, conditioners, lotions, some toothpaste, soaps, body Mm -hmm. washes. Um, Body
1: washes are also the worst. Yes,
0: the worst. Right. So, unless it's specifically an all-natural product that is scented with essential oils that are pure, and not all essential oils are pure. Right. Basically, you're getting these artificial scents that are made from petroleum, from gasoline, right. and they're highly toxic. They're highly endocrine disrupting, and You know, people will say, well, why doesn't it come with a warning label on it? This may cause breast cancer. And I know I have my opinion, but what would you say to that?
1: Um, That, as I just said in the beginning, there's no, quote, direct research in PubMed that says one plus one equals two. And the companies that make this um, have a lot of money to spend on advertising and with the people who determine what is going to be on a label. But the other key thing here is that the phrase all natural is um, a little duplicitous. So all natural does not necessarily mean it's healthy for you. And when you're going to buy new products and some there's two approaches. One is to go through your house as this woman I was working with did and to make a pile of everything that we were talking about and get rid of it and throw it out and start over. And if you can't afford that approach, then as you're replacing what you're using, then you go for the healthier version of it. You can, I know at the local health food stores, there's always unscented products. They say unscented. You can speak to the representative who works in the health food store in that section and say, where are the products that have no um, unhealthy scents? And so that's a good way to get started.
0: Yes, and I and I love those two approaches. One is just go in your house, get rid of everything, but that can be costly. And so the replacement method is a nice one. When you need something new, uh, just replace it with something healthier. That's a pretty simple approach. And what Dr. Carol is talking about is, is so true. Um, you know, my kids love to say, well, they wouldn't allow it if it wasn't good for you. Oh, yeah. They, they. Who's um, the they? Right. Who's the, the they? The they. And you know, unless it's something that's a very um, unique, identifiable risk habit, like smoking cigarettes, where someone can do uh, placebo controlled studies or double blind or whatever type of study is the gold standard to prove that cigarettes and tobacco cause certain illness. It's very hard to say, well, people who use scented laundry detergent of this type, and <laughs> right. you, you can't isolate it. Um, And so it's impossible to do those studies and we're also inundated in these toxins. So there's no causality that's obvious. Um, But if you uh, look into it, what you will find is that certain of these chemicals have been identified as being toxic in certain situations. And then when you add them all together, you get that cumulative or multiplicative effect on health. So this is something practical that you can do today is go in your house and start detoxifying. So this, this same woman, um, you talk to her about her home products what, and your, her diet. What kind of advice would you give her on her diet if she doesn't want to get breast cancer?
1: Well, this is true for everyone's health, I believe. And I think in the world of breast cancer, there's a couple different main approaches. One is the keto diet in which you're eating a very specific way, uh, almost no carbohydrates, and you want to put your body into what is known as ketosis. And there is a lot of research supporting this, not only for um, breast cancer, but also for Alzheimer's and brain function. And that is definitely one way that people can choose to eat.
0: And Um, so, go go ahead. They might say, well, do I need to be in ketosis all the time? Do I do what I've heard about intermittent fasting? If so, how do I do that? How do you counsel
1: her? Okay, let's, the intermittent fasting is a topic that's dear to my heart, but let's just wait for, with that for a second, because we're still in this okay. sh- ketosis. Yes, ketosis. No, I'm not a ketosis expert in the, in that. I don't do that form of nutrition with the women that come to see me in my practice. Um, there are a lot of ketosis experts out there. My understanding about ketosis is you should be in ketosis at least four out of seven days. And some people will say even seven out of seven days. So I think that if people are interested in that, there are lots of great books out there and you should buy a book and then find a practitioner who's a ketosis expert, which I am not. Um, In my practice, I use, as you just said, intermittent fasting. And I also recommend a modified Mediterranean diet. And the reason I recommend a modified Mediterranean diet is that it's a very easy food plan for people to live and execute and be happy with and not feel deprived. There's a lot of research that is behind this in supporting longevity and health. It's a very big anti-inflammatory diet. And I feel like it could be easily modified for women with breast cancer as they go through their um journey with chemotherapy, radiation, and recovery and preventing recurrence. Now, as far as intermittent fasting is concerned, I love this. And it's really interesting for me that it's now become so she and famous and everybody's doing it. There's been a lot of research on intermittent fasting. Dr. Walter Longo is one of the primary researchers who's, who's published many papers, and I interviewed him for my um, breast cancer course there's a couple different ways of doing intermittent fasting. You can do it. Let's explain what intermittent fasting is. Yes. Intermittent fasting is you stop eating and let's just say at 7, 7 p.m. it's your last meal and then you don't eat again. And research has shown that the primary benefits of intermittent fasting occur between the 14 to 16 hour time frame. Now, if you're just starting out and you've been doing the standard American diet, or the standard American, you work, you come home, you eat, and then you have a snack before you go to bed, and then you wake up and you have breakfast. You can't go from that to fasting for 16 hours. It's not going to work. So I think when I work with people in my practice, we start out with like an eight hour. I know it sounds, how do you go from eight to 16? Let's just start out with eight hours because Mm -hmm. some people... They eat at 10 o'clock, they have a snack before they go to bed. And that is a very unhealthy habit because that food just goes into adipose tissue and it's not good to have food in your stomach when you go to sleep. And ideally we should wake up in the morning feeling slightly hungry. Our American culture does not like that.
0: right? Right.
1: I mean, really, we, uh, we are brought up sort of subliminally through the advertising world of we should never be hungry. And that's not a healthy thing. And unfortunately, in our country, there are people who are hungry because they don't have enough food. And that is a different topic. But so once you go from that eight hours and the, and how I do that is we start out by eliminating the 10 p.m. snack. So you finish your meal at 7 p.m., And then you don't start again for eight hours moving forward in the morning. Now, according to Dr. Longo, you can have black coffee in the morning. That is part of okay with the intermittent fast. I have some issues with that. I think that drinking coffee on an empty stomach like that, and it has to be black, it can't have any sugar or anything in it, is not so great, but it works for a lot of people in our society. They have an espresso and then they go to work. Mm -hmm. So- once we start with the eight hours, then we gradually increase the time. And some people, what they do is they have their last meal, if they're having, doing an intermittent fasting day, they'll have their last meal at 4 p.m. or at 5 p.m. And then moving forward, that 16 hours, 14 to 16 hours, doesn't occur so late in the day. So the main thing here, I think, is to use your sleeping time towards several of those intermittent fasting hours. Oh, yes. I agree. (laughs) You definitely
0: want to have your sleeping time in there. And a lot of times what I'll do is just have my dinner at six or seven. And then I don't do breakfast if I'm doing intermittent fast Mm -hmm. and I break the fast at lunchtime. Right. Um, And getting in that into ketosis um, does have myriad health benefits, uh, including reducing risk of cancers and including breast cancer. Um, And and. One of the reasons is that cancer's feed on glucose or sugar. sugar.
1: Right. So let's talk about the Warburg effect. Yes. So which is another topic that's dear to my heart. Warburg was started his research in the 1920s and he actually won the Nobel Peace Prize in 25 or 20, 1925 or 26. And then it sort of went silent, but lately it's gotten a lot of research and press and that the the fact is that In the metabolic connection between feeding our cells and feeding cancer, if cancer has a choice of oxygen, which it needs to survive, or sugar, which is a more complicated, convoluted pathway, think of it as if you have two ways to get to a destination, and one way is a straight line, and one way is like out of your way, around the hill and over the path. Cancer will take the out of the way path if there's involved sugar. Cancer will always choose sugar for its energy and its glucose. So that is one of the main reasons we, in the work that I do and also in the ketosis diet, it's like you have to be very low sugar, if not zero sugar. And what that means is you're not eating, even though it's natural, it's not, it's still sugar. It's honey and the maple syrup. Mm -hmm. And those fake sugars, I don't think people should use. But fruit is a little bit okay. But when you're doing the ketosis diet, that's not acceptable. So that's why I have a modified Mediterranean diet. So sugar feeds cancer. And when women go to chemotherapy, they're given lollipops to suck on, which drives me crazy. Um, As part of my course, I have teas that I have made the recipes for that women can make to take with them to drink while they're doing chemotherapy. And we prepare for chemotherapy. You don't eat a normal diet like today and then go for chemotherapy tomorrow and think that you're not going to get sick. You need to prepare your body as well as your mind and your spirit to um, do chemotherapy.
0: Right, so a lot of good points you bring up um, there um, about about the cancer taking the hard path. So if, if cancers, lived off of the same way that humans live they really wouldn't necessarily be able to survive but they've developed in a way that they uh, one create their own vascular supply so their own blood vessels they can thrive in a very low oxygen type anaerobic environment and that's why cancers stink and you can actually sometimes I didn't even have to talk to a patient or examine them to know they had cancer. They had to walk in the room and I could smell it. You can smell it. Right. You can smell it. Um, And uh, that's why oxygen therapies are often very helpful because they help the tissue that's healthy around the cancer to to, uh, heal and proliferate and cancers don't like that. And then um, the glucose is another issue. So starving the cancer of its nourishment, its food, glucose, is part of what we're talking about. So these intermittent fasting or ketogenic diets mean low glucose or low sugar, are very good at preventing cancers as well as treating them Correct. um and so dr carol's given some great ideas and she's going to have even more in um her uh, program that she's going to give you some information on before we leave so i agree i i absolutely emphatically agree with the the dietary advice you would um give them, what are some other pieces of, or recommendations that you might give that woman who doesn't want to get breast cancer?
1: Uh, juice, get yourself a juicer. And I have a lot of juice formulas that I studied with one of the country's juicing experts uh, in the seventies. And juicing is really a wonderful way to di- to directly get the phytonutrients of vegetables into your cells you take a vegetable you put it through a juicer you get the juice you drink it in the morning on an empty stomach when you're not intermittent fasting and those phytochemicals those nutrients those flavanols those phenols they'll all get directly into your cells and that is what a plant-based diet provides anti cancer and it's um it gets in there and it has a ton of antioxidants. So it goes through your cells and anytime it sees an aberrant cell, it goes, oh, this is not okay. I'm going to gobble it up. One of the ways that cancer grows is it has a tendency, it's learned how to hide itself. It masks itself from um, antioxidants and it puts out enzymes that make it sort of disappear. So it's a very complex disease. And that's why many of the different drugs that are being used are looking at different ways to attack cancer and make it be seen by the immune system. That's what immunotherapy is about. Sometimes there's different types of cancers that deal with how they are with their enzymes. So there's a lot of different approaches towards medically towards cancer treatment. And my main approach is also through nutrition as well as juicing and juicing is a very big part of that.
0: Right. And and I agree. However, something you mentioned earlier and the juicing just made me think of this is that a lot of people overeat high sugar fruits. And oftentimes when you say juice, people hear,
1: oh, pineapples, bananas. Thank you, Thank you very much for bringing this up. Very important. Okay. Here's the yeah. deal with juice. That's a really good thing for me to be aware of. Juice means, I'm going to have to fr- change my phrasing, green vegetable juices. Right. So let me give an example of a juice formula that I use in my practice. Now, I do use carrot juice a little bit, but it's a very small amount because it has a lot of vitamin A and beta carotenes in it. So you might juice two carrots to four stalks of celery to an entire cucumber and a, um, a big bunch of Italian parsley at just the top, um, maybe a beet or a beet, beet stems, mm-hmm. and maybe a quarter of an apple. That is a very standard juice formula that people can do. Um, I don't recommend doing a lot of the spinach juice because of the chemicals, the oxalates that can happen in there, but people do juice kale. Mm -hmm. So other than the spinach, I don't feel like there's anything that you can't juice. It needs to be either red with the beets or green. We're not talking about goodness, uh, pineapple, and banana is very glycemic, so I don't Think people should be eating that at all, and in, in, when they're on this uh, nourishing nutrition protocol for to keep your cancer at bay.
0: Right, I like to call it a green drink.
1: Yes, so then people you. know
0: we're not talking about juice. We're talking about green drink with maybe a half an apple, and preferably a green apple, or maybe a half a right. beet or the beet stalks. Um, and then sometimes just pure vegetable soups are very helpful as right. well. Right. Um, And then um, how about any other recommendations that you might give her about hormones, the use thereof or not, birth control pills, things like that?
1: Yeah, I'm not a big exogenous hormone person. That's not, um, I don't recommend that in my practice. There are people who do, and I don't want to put them down. But I, from my attitude, if a woman has a hormonal disruption illness, whether it's infertility or polycystic ovarian syndrome and especially if it's breast cancer why are you then going to put exogenous hormones in her body mm. um i don't think a woman with breast cancer should be on the birth control pill i don't know who would recommend that uh, there are other ways of doing birth control other than the birth control okay. pill so i yeah i'm not a hormonal external hormonal person in my practice what do you feel
0: Yeah, well, and the birth control pill has been shown to increase the risk of breast cancer. So everybody listening, if you're concerned about breast cancer, and you're on the birth control pill, it's something you need to think twice about, particularly if you started on them before the age of 20. And particularly if you've been on
1: them for 10
0: years, or more. I was just
1: gonna say more than 10 years. Yeah,
0: right, your risk for breast cancer is increased. And then, what everyone listening needs to understand is that breast cancer is an estrogen dominant progesterone deficient condition. And so anything that increases your estrogen and or changes the ratio of estrogen to progesterone progesterone is going to increase your risk of breast cancer. Now, a lot of the reasons people are estrogen dominant and become at risk for breast cancer are things that Dr. Carol and I have talked about toxins in the environment, So stopping the toxins from getting in is one way to decrease that. But another is to increase their exit from your body. And the number one thing you can do to do that
1: is, Dr. Carol? To go to the bathroom every day and support your liver. Yes, poop, 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 Poop. and supporting your liver.
0: And so the green drinks we're talking about are very supportive, those phytonutrients of your liver getting rid of them. But also, when Dr. Carroll says exogenous hormones, what she's talking about means outside your body, exogenous, um, eliminating those, not taking them. And that includes things like progestin-containing IUDs or implants. It includes um, estrates and estrogen patches. Now, I am a fan of bioidentical hormone replacement for postmenopausal women who have been appropriately assessed With urinary and salivary testing, Mm -hmm. making sure that they're metabolizing it properly, Um, but that that's a big qualifier because until we make sure you're getting rid of your estrogen properly, you shouldn't really be given any estrogen. Um, So these are great tips. I would add exercise is is has is a known risk reducer for uh, right. preventing breast cancer, but you've got to do it 45 to 60 minutes, five days a week. Five times
1: a week. And with, <laughs> along with exercise is weight management. Women yes. who are overweight by more than 20 pounds have a much higher uh, incidence of breast cancer. And the reason for that is because fat holds estrogen or estrogen loves fat, So if you're overweight, you're going to have more estrogen floating around your body in your adipose tissue. And proper weight management is a very important part of healthy um, hormonal bodies. And the other thing I would add is stress management. Mm -hmm. Cortisol and stress and cancer, not a good combination. Cortisol is the hormone that is released when we're under chronic stress. And that, and cancer also loves cortisol. So just like sugar, drives cancer. Cortisol also drives cancer. So some form of stress management with joy and eliminating activities which stress you out, such as social media and finding time to be centered and meditate and hang out with your friends and your loved ones, walking in nature. Those are big stress management techniques we can all employ.
0: Right, and I I love that you brought up this topic about the cortisol because I I like to explain to people and I like them to understand that essentially cancer is an immune system failure. Mm -hmm. A lot of people think, oh, if I get sick, I get a cold. They understand their immune system failed, and that's why they have that virus. But most people don't understand that if they get cancer, it's the same thing okay it's not may not be an infectious agent that caused it but it's still an immune system failure and why i'm bringing this up when dr Carroll's talking about stress and cortisol is because cortisol your stress hormone is what governs how your immune system functions so if you have a lot of stress from inside and outside your body and that's a whole other discussion your cortisol is going to be wonky. Your immune system is not going to function properly. You're susceptible to cancer. Because every day when our cells multiply and divide and do all the things they need to do to help your body function, they make errors. And your immune system comes behind and corrects those errors. Right. But if your immune system's off the job, those errors go ahead and proliferate and cancer is unbridled cell growth. And that's when cancer occurs. So your immune system is the break on cancer. If your cortisol, stress hormones wonky, no immune system, cancer happens. So now you know unequivocally, it's not just stress management because it sounds like some airy fairy thing to do, which I think a lot of people think. That's- Unfortunately, yes. Right. That's
1: hard science right there. It is hard science. There's a lot of research in PubMed on stress, cortisol and cancer. Yeah, so thank you. I wrote about extensively in my course, yes.
0: Yes, so your course is full of this type of information. So um, if you are a woman who does not want to get breast cancer or any type of cancer or autoimmune disease or all of the other diseases that ail us because they all are caused by the same root causes. They're all
1: related, yes. They're
0: all related, then you want to attend to all of these issues that we're talking about which this, I think we've got a pretty comprehensive list now.
1: We do. And the one, one thing I want to say to women who are listening, and they're doing the standard American diet and the standard American life of lack of exercise and not enough physical and emotional support, it's, it's very overwhelming. And you're thinking, where am I going to start? How do I get started? And what I want to say is one step at a time. Because if you think I, I have to do these 10 new things all at once to get healthy, what happens is you're gonna get overwhelmed and you'll do zero new things. So I think one of the first ways to start is to start by detoxifying your home and then gradually uh, working on your nutrition and your diet. And there is a lot of information out there. I have a lot of information. I try to provide everything and anything a woman would need to eat a healthy diet. Nourishing nutrition is what I call it. in my online course with juice formulas and what to choose and how to figure out what is healthy and what isn't i don't like to tell people well for breakfast every day you should be eating a b and c i think people need to be given options then cuz what works for one person may not work for somebody else
0: absolutely and 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 you can get overwhelmed if you think oh i have to do all this and it's too much you'll never do any of it right so simplify and my simplification is bad stuff out, good stuff in, balance everything. That's my simplification.
1: That's great. I think that works. Balance is really important. And if you haven't exercised, do not think you're going to go from zero to working out seven days a week at the gym lifting 40 pounds. I mean, it is a process. It's going to take a while. Maybe you're only going to start walking. I had a woman who was with breast cancer. And she was very debilitated when she finished her treatment. And it took two months for her to even have enough energy to walk 10 minutes on the treadmill. And within a year, she just finished a bike ride for uh, cancer 25 miles a day for four days in a row. But she literally, it took 10 months because she literally started only 10 minutes on the treadmill. So it takes a while and our society doesn't talk about process and patience and being kind to yourself when you're out of shape and maybe you're a little overweight and you feel dumpy and you don't feel good in your body. How do you get started? It's very slow and very gentle with a lot of TLC and compassion for yourself. Yes.
0: I, I echo that. So I say, amen, very amen. gentle and loving. <laughs> right. So now let's move into a woman who maybe has been diagnosed with breast cancer, newly diagnosed What kind of things can she begin doing to help her recovery? Maybe she's having surgery. Maybe she's having chemotherapy. Maybe she's having radiation. What kinds of things can we do naturally to support her and help her heal?
1: Well, every woman I see in my practice, the first thing women do between that abnormal mammogram and then the biopsy appointment is they're researching obsessively on the internet with Dr. Google. And that's how a lot of women find me, which I think is good. But what happens is they come in and they're totally overwhelmed because I don't think it's important. I don't think it's helpful to focus on statistics. I think it's helpful to focus on, as you said, what can you do at this moment to help your breast cancer path and your healing journey? The first thing I think is to calm your nervous system, no matter where you are in your journey, whether you're getting chemo, you're preparing for surgery, you're undergoing radiation, or you're preventing, you're done with active treatment and preventing recurrence. I think keeping your nervous system calm and your and your psyche centered and po- positive is very important. The second thing I think is to change your diet. Really, and I don't like the phrase anti-cancer. I think it's, pro-life it's nourish I call it nourishing nutrition really get yourself on the nourishing nutrition protocol which is for me it's a modified Mediterranean it's a plant-based diet 70% plants 10% protein and if you're going to eat meat and a lot of people don't it must be grass-fed beef you cannot eat normal beef from that you buy from the supermarket that is filled with chemicals estrogen being the main one and you It's just off the diet right now. Lots of salmon for the essential fatty acids, tons of organic plants and vegetables, and that's the key phrase here, organic. If you're on a plant-based diet and you're eating green vegetables that have been sprayed with chemicals and you have a hormonal estrogen progesterone imbalance or any type of chronic disease which has impacted your immune system, why would you then voluntarily be putting chemical spray in your body. And so in my opinion, women need to be 100% organic. Agreed.
0: Um, The pesticides act as estrogen mimickers in your body and actually clog up your liver and cause more toxicity. So if you're juicing with non-organic or eating non-organic vegetables, you're actually shooting yourself in the foot. So definitely don't do that. Um, But once you have a diagnosis, so some of the same uh, tasks that we discussed for prevention are important for treatment as well. Diet, exercise, stress management, decreasing exogenous estrogens, everything we mentioned before still stands. Um, And there are some uh, natural things um, that you can do that can help to support your immune system in fighting the cancers off. Um, Would you like to talk about any of those mushrooms, vitamins? I'm just about to say mushrooms. Mushrooms, yeah.
1: (laughs) Mushrooms. Um, I use the company Real Mushrooms, and I I think there's been a lot of research regarding mushrooms as, as what they have and how they contribute to supporting your immune system, and also their aromatase inhibitors, and they also, the other thing they can also do is, and it, this is amazing to think about this, that white button mushroom that you see most of the time at the store, that is the mushroom that surprisingly for me, when I learned this, has the most ability with, with the antioxidants, and it also increases the efficacy of chemotherapy. So it's that's amazing to me. I just published a, a recipe that I made for the holidays of a mushroom pate, which can be... Um, dairy-free or non-dairy-free, and it's actually extremely healthy for you. So I put mushrooms in my juice. I recommend women take the mushroom powder and put it in their juice every day, their green juice that they've made, mm-hmm. and eat eat um, cooked mushrooms as much as possible.
0: Right, and then there are a lot of um, mushroom pr- preparations for medicinal uses, um, for reishi mushrooms, and there's a lot of research on that showing how it supports the immune system, not only for cancers but for chronic infectious right. issues, inflammation, inflammation. yes, um,
1: antibacterial,
0: antimicrobial. Right. So those are helpful. Um, vitamin C is a, is a fabulous uh, antioxidant, and it's often used intravenously for cancers. Yes. Um, do you do any intravenous uh, therapies
1: in your practice? I don't do intravenous no. therapy in my practice, mm-hmm. but I do recommend um, I do recommend people in my practice to see local people, and they have a very specific protocols that they follow with IV glutathione mm-hmm. uh, and vitamin C and some other substances in there. And um, you can take glutathione internally, but when you do it IV, it gets. Uh, more of an antioxidant powerhouse
0: right and glutathione is used in the liver to help with that detoxification most of us are deficient and it has uh, wondrous properties for all kinds of healing and now iv nutrient therapies are being used pretty standardly in every state in our country and and overseas so it's something to look into if you've already been diagnosed um, what are some other treatments that you might recommend?
1: Uh, for women undergoing radiation, um, miso soup. <laughs> miso soup is very radioprotective, meaning that before you go into your radiation treatment, and I also recommend that women use intermittent fasting before chemotherapy and radiation, and the issue about radiation is it happens every day, but that 10 to 12 to 14 hour slot of radiation pre chemo or pre radiation can be very effective in protecting your healthy cells and having the cancer cells take up more of either the chemotherapy and the radiation. I have women drink miso soup before they go in for radiation, and that protects the healthy cells and lessens the um, oxidative stress that radiation causes. And there's a lot of antioxidants that I give. There's a controversy around using antioxidants during radiation. There is research in PubMed that shows that there has not been any negative side effects with using antioxidants during radiation. And then some radiation oncologists say, absolutely no antioxidants during radiation. And if that's the case, my attitude is just make your green juice every day Mm-hmm. And drink miso soup and you won't be interfering with your radiation per your oncologist's instructions, but you'll also be taking care of yourself as far as wanting to protect yourself from the oxidative stress that's caused, that radiation causes. Yeah,
0: so just eating a healthy diet, you can address some of that without supplements. And what about the diagnosis of breast cancer How is it a call to a spiritual awakening and journey? Let's talk about that.
1: Yes, that's a topic that's dear to my heart. Um, A chronic illness such as breast cancer doesn't just appear in a day. It's taken a while for it to develop. And as we've just talked about, there's a multifactorial issues that contributed to the creation of the little lump that appears in your breast. And when people talk about fighting breast cancer, my attitude is, it's part of you, what are you fighting yourself? I think that breast cancer is a call to action inside of ourselves. It's a call to getting in touch with all the little things that we haven't paid attention to, or all the little things that we are upset about, but we don't wanna hurt somebody's feelings by mentioning it to them. We Women are so busy every day that our nervous systems just get overwhelmed and sometimes a lot of important stuff slips through the cracks. So as part of my working with women, I really encourage them and help them learn how to slow down and start making lists of every little thing, even if you think, oh, that's not important, that has agitated them or upset them or really the deep wounds sometimes of childhood that women have never been able to or finished attending to because those deep wounds, sadness, betrayal, anger, grief, they'll come back and they will create inflammation. And that inflammation can then be the beginning of breast cancer There's no one thing that creates breast cancer. It's a whole package. And we need to look at all those little things, the emotional and the spiritual and how unhappy are you and why are you unhappy and what can we change to have more happiness and joy in your life?
0: Right. I I love that. That's a centerpiece of what you talk about with women, because I do as well. I talk with them about their weight and every disease that they have. Yes, we've got physical components, hormone imbalance, toxicity, nutritional deficiency. Those are the three main ones. But then for me on the top is always the mental, emotional, spiritual balance. And I talk to them about the fact that they have this energetic body, which you directly treat with acupuncture, um, that is the framework for their physical body. And really that the physical body is just a manifestation of that energetic framework. And so for them to have breast cancer, that energetic disturbance had to exist before it physically manifested in the breast. And I would talk to them about the fact that the breasts are part of the fourth shark chakra, which is the fourth energy center in the body, the heart chakra. Mm-hmm. And so let's talk a little bit about that. Oftentimes what those emotional wounds uh, might mean. I mean, there's a reason that breast cancer is so prevalent in women. And are we having so many heart chakra injuries that um, it's really contributing to this?
1: Well, I think we are having heart chakra injuries. I think that we're all more sensitive beings than we are able to express living in our busy day and in our society. And there are 8 million different moments when you can have your feelings hurt. And I, when I, I was raised you know, with the don't be too sensitive or just get over it or you're overreacting phrase. And that was a long time ago. I think now that Parents know, have more insight into how to raise children, but that's how I was raised. And women come into my practice and talk a lot about that, how they were raised with the just get over it, don't overreact, you're too sensitive. And even now, sometimes people are using that phrase, oh, you're too sensitive. Um, I think we are very sensitive and those little bumps that happen and they get into ourselves and they and you hold them in your heart, if you're not able to process that, that is the beginning and contributes towards disease. And as part of healing, we have to unwind the injuries that happen to you on a cellular level. And that happens emotionally. And also homeopathy is one of the tools I use. It's very, very helpful to to have that happen for people.
0: Yeah, so... Maybe what are some of the tools that people can start to use to start to address that fourth chakra if they're thinking, wow, I do have something energetically going on there emotionally? What are some of the tools you might recommend?
1: The first thing I think that's important is you need to turn the volume down on your critical mind. We all have that little negative voice inside of us that goes, oh, that's not important. Oh, you're wasting your time. Oh, don't do this. You have to like do the laundry or whatever it is. That negative voice is the death of us yet as empowered feminine women. And we all need to really begin to first acknowledge that we have one. And then second, start paying attention and see how much it's running our lives because it does run your life. So when you are wanting to get in touch with your heart chakra and your woundedness, which we have to understand, everybody has wounds. You can't have grown up without wounds. And the issue is, how much work have you done, one, on identifying where they are in your psyche in your body and what caused them? And have you done any inner work to let go of some of that pain and trauma and maybe do some healing work around that? But once you are aware of that inner voice that keeps coming at you and distracts you from getting in touch with your heart chakra, you can start really getting inside in a meditative way and giving yourself a lot of love and permission to feel what that pain is and how it got there and what it's saying to you. That I think is the beginning of healing with your breast cancer. Sometimes I have women come in and I have them say, if we could put a voice to your tumor what would she say to you wow. and you that is that I think that's one of the most amazing tools that I've ever thought of I'm sure other people do it but I do it in my practice with everyone whatever their illness is what is your illness saying to you and you can't imagine what knowledge your body has about your illness and so you-
0: I was just gonna say I love that what kinds of answers have you gotten?
1: Oh, God, a lot of abuse. Uh, The tumor happened for a lot of sexual and physical and psychological abuse has from many, many, many years ago, when in was that was the beginning. And that created feelings of unworthiness and self disgust um for women and then that's the beginning of a horrible disease and for these women it was cancer somebody else had had a horrible autoimmune disease that had been seen by 18 doctors every possible test it's all in your head here's psychiatric medicine um that i don't like that that drives me crazy i used homeopathy with this person and she it's like her symptoms got better
0: Right, and so when we're children and we're abused, whether it's a mentally, emotionally, physically, sexually, what we tend to do because we're porous, we don't have good boundaries, is we right. tend to take that on and internalize that abuse as if it's because we're bad. Uh, and if we don't ever discharge it or have it properly, properly attended to, which most of us didn't, then when we we become adults, it's still inside of us. And so I love that I do a similar exercise with people with their weight where I have them do a meditation and dialogue with the excess fat and and ask okay. it, what did you come here to tell me? What do you need me to know? what purpose are you serving because it wouldn't exist if it didn't have a purpose. And so I never thought about that with cancer, but it is the same thing. What, what do you have to say to me? Uh, So that would be a great one. I was going to say, when you said about the internal voice, yours
1: doesn't sound as mean as mine. I've done a lot of work on (laughs) mine. I, I, you know, I've done, I, yeah, I could have a multi million dollar house at this point. I've done a lot of work on my inner voice and I'm really aware of it. And, um, in Jungian terms, they call it a complex Mm -hmm. and it's when you get activated when one of your wounds or one of your little areas of sensitivity gets pushed. We all have them, but I Mm -hmm. think that with really mindful attention and intention, you can get them much less and some of them actually disappear because they heal, but we all Mm -hmm. have them moving. And as you get older, you continue to work on them. I mean, I'm older now, I've been working on them for 40 years, so it's, it pays off that Consistent belief that it can get better does pay off.
0: Right. I just want everybody listening to know, because I know you have them, because I hear them when I work with people, especially on their weight, is when you hear those voices, who do you think you are, or you're not worthy, or you don't deserve, or it's your fault because these are all that internalized of abusive negative parent and that's not who you really are but really teasing these out and and shutting them up essentially
1: well you can't shut them up this is the thing that i yeah like i think as you know if you say shut up to the voice i mean when you were when we were little and somebody told us to shut up that didn't feel good so Mm -hmm. the way through these voices whether it's about weight or breast cancer is to really approach them with um, tender love and care and compassion. It's like, okay, the voice is up, like, oh, and then you realize that the voice gets louder when you've been um, pushed or wounded and mm-hmm. one of your buttons has been activated. So really there's a lot of either fear or sadness or shame, and then that voice gets going. So to, to begin to really use that voice as a meditation guide Mm-hmm. to let you know that, oh, I'm activated, I got pushed, my complex is up, I don't feel well, and then not say, okay, shut up or go away because that's just adding salt to the wound. It's like, oh, I don't feel well. What can I do? What happened? What can I do that in a positive way to, re- to help me feel better, not in a negative way by overeating or, if, or eating sugar if you have cancer? I mean, mm-hmm. our society doesn't really teach us how to do self love in a positive way? That's something that we have to actively learn.
0: Right. No, I definitely agree to, agree with you. And I was just saying to get them to quiet down is what I meant. I don't mean say I'm sorry. To them. Yeah, no, it's fine. <laughs> um, but to get them where they're manageable and quiet, um, I think it's important. And I, I talk with people with the weight issue that until we get those voices addressed and we start meeting those needs in healthy self-loving ways right Uh, it's going to be challenging to fix the weight problem so i was just wondering do you find that there's a difference between people who ultimately heal from breast cancer and those who don't in terms of this kind of spiritual emotional work
1: you know sometimes a woman can do everything right quote-unquote and either get cancer or not heal mm-hmm. so i think that i don't want to you know I, I i have friend who two friends and colleagues and they were totally organic they you know they didn't have any genetic issues and they got one woman had breast cancer the other woman had ovarian cancer and she passed away and i i think that she was a very spiritually evolved woman who did a ton of work on herself and she was working in the healing profession. She was a very beautiful person and she died from ovarian cancer. So, and she did quote, every possible thing right that you would imagine. So, I think the issue with cancer is everybody's path is really individual and one of the ways, one of the reasons I created the course is because there are tools in there that can help you contain your anxiety and contain the chaos that cancer creates cancer definitely does create chaos it's undifferentiated cells it goes in there and eats everything up and the way to differentiate your cells is to have a system and create boundaries and you do your best the best you can and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't and notice i you know this is an integrative approach it's not just one thing or the mm-hmm. other i'm in favor of using the best of both worlds
0: Right. And, and I guess I should just mention that one of the reasons this is near and dear to my heart is because my maternal grandmother actually uh, died from breast cancer before I was even born. Yeah. So I never knew one of my grandparents oh, yeah. because of this disease. So it really uh, has a special place in my heart. And just knowing what I know about her, she did have a lot of heart wounds. Um, And so I always wonder how much of that uh, played a part in it. I think that we've given so much good information for people listening, practical information. And I usually like to ask my guests for three top take home, take action now tips. I think we've given lots. So if you want to just give the top three for people, things they could do today, what would they be?
1: Start detoxifying your home immediately, either with the full throw-out approach or the gradual replacement approach. Okay, number one. on your nourishing, nutrition, food, eating. Notice I don't say diet because it's not a diet. It's a way of life and it's a gradual process. But really gradually change over to a plant-based. Either you can decide to be keto or modified Mediterranean, whatever you want. Switching to all organic is part of that. Starting to juice is part of that. The third thing I want to say is calm your nervous system. Make room for love, joy, relaxation, and fun that doesn't have to do with technology in your life.
0: Yes. Okay. So those are three wonderful actions that you can take today that are simple, and they just involve different choices that you're going to make. Right different decisions. And when you start making different decisions, you get different results. So I love that. And I'd love for you to share how you would define her brilliant health. That's the name of the podcast. And that's what everybody listening is trying to create for themselves and it means something different to each woman. So how would you define that?
1: I think her brilliant health comes from inside of all women and touches on the inner innate wisdom that we all have that we need to listen to and respect and honor more and more. And it's from there that health comes. I love
0: that. Yes. And so thank you for the work that you do in helping women to create Her Brilliant Health. And thank you for the work that you're doing with your program. We will put the link in the show notes to where they can go and get their free download and also sign up for your course. Any other information you'd like to give people about what you're up to and how to find out
1: more? Um you can always reach me at thepathofbreastcancer.com or carollorry.com. I'm on Facebook. I'm I'm around. I'm here. I'm eager and honored to serve women on their healing journey.
0: Thank you so much. Thank Such you a for pleasure to Thank you. Pleasure to speak with you today. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Her Brilliant Health Radio. Hopefully you're inspired to take action on some new information you received today. A step towards the bountiful, blissful, beautiful vitality that you deserve. If you have health topics and questions you'd like addressed, please message me on my Facebook page or visit dunstanmd.com and let me know. I'd love to help. Remember to share this podcast on social media and send it to your friends and family who could benefit from it too. If you love the show, please go right now to iTunes, write a review and make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you'll be the first to know when future episodes are available. Thank you again for joining me and remember, achieving optimal health isn't magic, it's science.